Listener Production. This episode was recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a club helping women to connect, learn, and lead. One of my favourite ways to do that is by running live events, like our annual Leadership Summit. There's nothing quite like being in a room full of inspiring women, hearing their stories and sharing leadership experience. Well, in this series, I'm bringing you the next best thing to being there in the room and sharing the highlights from our 2022 summit. We spend a lot of time talking about what makes a great leader, but most of us will work with one manager that isn't quite up to scratch. So how do you recognise poor leadership? And what can you do about it? This discussion will help answer those questions. The panel features experienced HR boss and founder of Self Energy, Kate Mason, psychologist Aileen Dulligill, and GP and digital health consultant, Dr. Amadeep Hansra, who joins the panel by Zoom. The discussion is moderated by Future Women's Ruby Lee Gatfield. I do want to just kick off the discussion by asking everyone on the panel what bad leadership looks like to you. So I might start here. (laughs) Thank you, Ruby. That is such a huge question, really. And when I was talking to a friend about doing this over the weekend, she said, bad leadership isn't leadership, which I thought was a really good statement. So, you know, you can think of a whole range of different behaviours, inconsistency, rigid thinking, inability to adapt, incompetence, you know, right down to the really terrible end of narcissism and, you know, the dark triad. For those of you who don't know about the dark triad, that's narcissism, Machiavellianism and psychopathy, which I might talk about a bit more later because everyone's often really interested in that bad stuff. Um, But to summarise, to me, poor leadership looks like uh, somebody who has a negative influence on their people and is really creating a toxic work environment where there is that negative influence and where they're unaware of their impact on their team and on their team's ability to do the work that they need to do. So they're actually actively you know, an obstacle to their team doing the work that they need to do. So that's my kind of overall summary of a very huge body of research and literature. Of which I'm sure we will dig into a little deeper. Kate, the same question to you. What does bad leadership look like in your eyes? Adding to those wonderful points, because I've never had a bad leader in 35 years. (laughs) Don't know what you're talking about. I could very easily say that. Um, Not. I had so much fun with this, actually because I actually had to sit there and go, okay, let me think of all of the leaders that I've had the privilege of having and all of the leaders that I've really suffered at the hands of. And I'm sure we'll explore a lot more about that. Um, And uh, the concept of self-doubt and imposter syndrome. First and foremost, the most important thing for me is leadership is about inclusive leadership. If we want to drive full equality, we need inclusive leadership. Toxic leadership is exclusive leadership. And so I ask you all to think about whether you've ever worked for, I agree, a narcissist, a sociopath, 
someone that is more interested in themselves and their own success. Kathy talked before about, you know, the inconsistency of leadership. I think that's very important. And as often as women, especially in, in the early stages of our career, when inconsistent leadership happens, we dare to think that it might just be changing, that they're just having a bad day and then they'll suddenly uh, throw you a little crumb of having that development conversation or caring about your kids and whether you're going to be able to pick them up in time. I wrote a few things down here, very change resistant. Don't know if any of you can relate to that. That's definitely toxic. Undermining, if you've ever been undermined because you've been perceived as a threat. That's certainly happened to me a lot. We talked about command and control earlier. Information is my power, and I really want to explore power and how we regain our power in this situation later. The micromanagement, anyone had that? Bit of nitpicking, blaming, you know, all of that stuff. The staunchness, limited or no feedback. You're on your own. And the one that I've always struggled with is it's all about them. They're arrogant. They certainly don't have any humility. And they certainly don't have any empathy or belief in, in you. Yeah, thank you, Kate. Dr. Amandeep, I wonder if you have anything you'd like to add to that. Yeah, look, thank you. I mean, great comments made by the panellists already. But um, when I was looking at some of the notes for this discussion, there was talk around personality disorders, um, sort of antisocial or narcissistic personality disorder. And I think it's very common now for people to sort of, uh, you know, bucket their bad boss into, you know, sort of a, a personality disorder and say, look, they've got this, you know, illness or there's something wrong with them. And I think it's important to know that personality disorders, especially those narcissistic and antisocial, have about 1% prevalence in the general population. And we have a lot more bosses and a lot more bad bosses than 1%. Um, so we, we might be trying really hard when we get a bad boss to, to bucket them into a personality disorder. And that's not always best use of our time and effort. And I think it's important to realise that there are many people who are just not meant to be in leadership positions who may not necessarily be you know, bad people or personality disordered, but are actually not, um, you know, don't don't have the, I guess, some of the skills to be a, a leader that, as the other panellists have mentioned, are there to help develop their team, are there to work towards a bigger purpose, are there can put themselves um, to the side and really work on making sure the whole team and the whole organisation moves forward. Yeah, thank you for that. I think it's such a great segue to my next question. Before we delve into some kind of tips and solutions around how we deal with that kind of leadership, I do want to break down a couple of myths surrounding poor leadership. And so I'll start with you, Eileen. Um, I do think it's easy to believe from the movies and pop culture that you need to be cutthroat and cold and, and as you said, almost maybe a narcissist. And it sounds like maybe the narcissism is not as common as we may be led to believe. So how true is that, that you need those sorts of traits to get to that top job? Uh, well, I want to answer that question first off by saying that we all know that movies and TV series are driven by conflict. So, of course, they're going to have stereotypes and conflict as the main kind of driving, generating story. My take on that is that it's not at all true. I think any type of person can become a leader. And I think the issue is more that there is a lot of ingrained bias about what leadership looks like, which, you know, is typically that white 
pale male stale image of the suit charging forward at the front of, you know, the battalion almost. Um, and it's the case that people who have different characteristics, especially female leaders or ethnically diverse individuals really struggle to see themselves reflected as leaders in popular culture. So there's there's a dissonance that operates within us even as to am I a leader if I don't have these characteristics? Am I a leader if I wear a flowery dress and dangly earrings, for example? So I think it's a it's a constant examination of the qualities that we have that are unique, that are authentic to us that we can see have a positive influence on the people around us to take action, which is kind of a definition of leadership. It's a social process that has a positive influence on people. And if you can think back through your life at times when you had a positive influence on people and create a timeline of times when you were able to affect change or take people along with you, and it might have been, you know, being in high school and raising money for a charity or being the captain of a sports team and you can create a, a timeline of those sorts of incidents in your life where you were technically a leader, that's going to help you define your unique identity as a leader more effectively. Having said that, I have I have more because being as a, a psychologist, the answer is always it depends. Um, you know, if you're in a culture that really values that kind of behaviour, then you're going to be you're going to benefit from behaving like that. And there is some research to show that certain in certain industries there is a higher prevalence of narcissism than in other industries. So that is a caveat. But I would also say that even in those sorts of cultures, there will come a point where that kind of behaviour is a derailer and it stops you from going any further because you're not able to learn new skills, have a growth mindset, be collaborative. Yeah, so that's that's my it depends answer. Thanks. Hi, Helen coming back in to say this might seem obvious, but it is important to recognise and understand the problem before you can start to implement the tips our panel is about to give. Because as Aylan pointed out, bad leadership isn't leadership. So now we know you don't need a cutthroat or narcissistic mentality to be successful in business. So Ruby asked our panel about another myth I hear all too often. So we often hear that it can be women who are bullying other women at work. We've got the devil wears Prada trope, the alpha woman stereotype, and it tells us that once women get to the top, they don't necessarily support other women to come up with them. But Kate, in your experience, how true is that? And why do you think we think like that? It's often been quite a convenient myth for men to perpetuate, right? Well, you can't have two or three women on a leadership team because then they'll get bitchy <laughs> or catty. And you, like, all start to compete with each other. So I do, I have seen that. Anyone else? Yeah. So, so let's get real. <laughs> that myth needs to, you know, be shoved right down the bottom of Sydney Harbour. Look, I have, ha as I said earlier, I have had a variety of different leaders. I have struggled with one female leader. 
But I would say because she was absolutely threatened. She was the first African-American woman on a leadership team of a big bank that I used to work with called Credit Suisse in New York City in the middle of the global financial crisis. Now, every single person was struggling with this leader. And it wasn't just women, right? And you can quickly personalise it that you think it is just you. But actually, when you step back and you get a bit of perspective and you realise, actually, they're not comfortable in their leadership seat. And therefore, as a fellow woman, you know, I'm a past president of the International Women's Forum here in Australia. I sit on the Global Forum. I stand for women. So I could stop and just be a victim in that circumstance, but I chose to not be. And I think this is an important theme for all of us. When you see a woman struggling, in our spirit of sisterhood, what are you doing to understand the why they are not able to be a good leader? And is there anything in your power that you can do to help them change? Back to, we stand for inclusive leadership and we stand for ensuring that we get gender equality. So I would say we, you know, we can't afford to just try and, you know, it's a bit like we talk about um, senior women, you know, dropping down the ladder and enabling other women's success. Well, when you're sitting side by side with a woman or a woman's above you, doesn't mean that they've got all the answers and they're not struggling. That's been my approach is to try and seek to understand and see what I can do to support them to become a better leader. Amandeep, I'll throw to you. Is there anything you would like to say? Yeah, look, I think it's a very common myth um, that, you know, women don't want to help other women. I mean, if we look at statistics, and I always go back to data, you know, 60 to 70% of people that are bullied in the workplace are, are women, and 60 to 70% of those who actually bully in the workplace are men. And so it's, um, you know, it, it is a common myth. It makes for great movies. It makes for um, great things to be propagated so that we don't continue to encourage women up into these positions. Um, but I think the data always, you know, sort of tells the truth. I think the important thing to notice also is that we have such few women in C-suite roles that when we do see something that, you know, what we term as bullying, it's much more obvious because it's happening all the time, you know, with men um, in those positions. But when a woman does it because there's so few women around, it's like the attention is all focused on that and that's, you know, what we, what we use as our, you know, myth and um, sort of data that we start to spread. But I think we've also got to recognise, you know, exactly what was mentioned around the why is that these women have worked very hard to get to the positions that they are. And, you know, there is a lot of fear about how they continue to hold those roles, how they continue to be perceived by their male um, peers who are also leaders. You know, there is that sense of feeling like I've got to prove myself and the only thing that I've had demonstrated to me in terms of leadership is a lot of these men and they behave this way. And even without consciously doing it, you find yourself, if you're in a culture or an environment, an organisation that has that kind of behaviour, that you start to take it on without even noticing. And sometimes it is about sitting down, reflecting on why are they behaving this way? You know, is it that they're also juggling a thousand other things like children at home and taking on a lot of the tasks um, you know, in in the um, household, as well as trying to balance this big job, as well as trying to show that they can, you know, hold their position and they're validated for being in that position. 
And maybe it is that we offer those women some assistance rather than using them to propagate a myth. Um, and I think there's, there's a lot to be unpacked there, but really going back to the data is the key. Yeah, absolutely. That's a stat that I've used in my time as well around the percentage of those who bully and those who've been bullied. I might stay with you, Amandeep. I'm conscious of time because I do want to get stuck into some solutions. But just quickly, from a GP's perspective, what have you seen as been some of the impacts of poor leadership on individuals from a mental health perspective? Oh, look, people don't realise. I mean, there's studies that have been done that show if you have a, a bad boss, you know, you've got a bad sort of um, toxic work culture, not only is it mental health risks that you're, you know, that you're exposed to, but there's also um, evidence now that there are other conditions that you're at risk for, things like stroke and heart disease. Um, there's been some, a lot of study that's come out of Sweden that has showed that people who are in a toxic work environment um, can actually you know, be at higher risk of developing some of those cardiovascular um, diseases. And I think we tend to want to hold on to prove that we can make it, but sometimes it is the right thing to go, well, my physical health and my mental health is not worth it and I need to have a look around and see what my other options are. I mean, we'll talk about some of the strategies of coping, but people need to recognise that this does have a, both a mental and a physical effect on individuals when they're in those environments because we spend so much time at work and it's really important that we are in an environment and a culture that's good for our physical and our mental well-being. Yeah, thank you. Eileen, is there anything you would add from as a psychologist? Yeah, yeah. I would just like to add that um, following on from what Amandeep said, and I've also seen that research, um, it's quite shocking. You know, having a poor leader is actually the biggest predictor of employee stress, and it's the most influential psychosocial factor in the workplace. So considering we spend one third to a quarter of our working life at work, that's a really important thing to get right, I think, both for you as future leaders and for you experiencing poor leadership. Um, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Okay. Yeah, I'm actually going to talk about a real life example that happened about 10 years ago. And it's, it's always the stories that you don't hear, but you know, all of us, and I'm reaching out to anyone who's had this same experience. I was very badly bullied when I came back to my own country. So I'd been living and working in all those global roles overseas in places like London, Singapore, New York and Zurich for many, many years. The first job when I came back to Australia, of course, no one wanted to recognise any overseas experience 10 years ago. Um, the first job I got, which I was extremely grateful because it had been a lot of knocking on headhunter doors, I was still sitting in a place of gratitude that I had this job. And I didn't believe, I don't know if anyone's ever thought about, you know, the analogy of the frog and you're in the water and you don't realise the heat is being turned up until you have been so badly impacted. Your self-confidence is gone. Imposter syndrome flourishes in those environments because you've personalised it all to yourself. And so I chose to, with whatever dignity I had left, and I did a lot of wrong things, and we'll talk about those in the what not to do, the, the tips coming up. I confronted the bully. I didn't sleep for four days, so all that we're talking about is the impact of what happened to our health. I held my head up high, and I walked out of that organisation because I was literally at just about at rock bottom. It took me a long time 
to get back up. Thank you for sharing that. Can I just throw in, thank, thank you for sharing that. And I mean, the ongoing impact of that, as you've alluded, it takes a long time to recover from a, an incident like that at work. So it's not just the lost productivity and the inability to sleep and the anxiety and the loss of confidence in that time. It's like the next two years of lost productivity and building your confidence back up and the impact that it has that we don't really have a way of measuring. So, so Eileen, if someone was in that situation struggling under really poor leadership, what tips do you have for them to stay, stay psychologically safe? And at what point is it the right time to leave? Is that ever the fair or the right outcome? So let me just talk about some strategies to stay psychologically safe first, because I was also in that situation. And similarly, it took me, you know, a couple of years. I also confronted the person, which was a big mistake. I think it's really important to maintain your boundaries and get really clear about what are you prepared to do in the job and what are you not prepared to do? Because one of the characteristics, I think, of poor leadership, especially down the sort of nastier end is demanding and, you know, demanding unwavering loyalty and responsiveness from you and wanting to further your career, you're going to want to do things. And like Kate said, you're not going to realise how terrible the situation is until you've already sort of overcommitted yourself. So maintaining boundaries is a really important one. I think having a really clear sense of what you want to achieve in the role that you're in and thinking about are you close to achieving it or are you prepared to stay in the situation you're in to achieve what you're achieving in the role is important. So what's your purpose in being there? Have you learnt the skills that you've needed to learn? Have you, you know, gained the experience that you needed to gain? I think not taking things personally is really important and it's really hard because it will feel really personal with someone like that. But you have to remember that it's not about you, it's about them. You are just a means to an end and they want to aggrandise themselves, they want to be successful and you're, you know, you kind of almost don't matter to be honest. And then I would just say to build your own sense of confidence, really focus on what's working well for you, what are you doing well in the, in, you know, on a daily basis, what did you do well, how did your unique strengths and capabilities help you make that happen and also I think Kathy talked about this, listening to the story in your head and really making sure that you're practising your own emotional self-regulation and you're understanding the sense that you're contributing to, you know, your own anxiety by understanding the story that's going on in your head. Thank you. That's such good advice. Um, we've got a few minutes left. I will throw Amandeep to you for some final thoughts on... Um Building a healthy workplace culture, what tips do you have as leaders on how we can do that and hold each other to account? Thanks. And look, I think I have something in common with the other panellists where I also too confronted a bad boss and it ended very badly with a you know, huge fit of rage. So just advice. We've all done it. We've all been there. We would all recommend not to do it. But in terms of building, um, you know, a culture, look, you know, you know, they talk about, um, you know, the, the, the fish line about, you know, fish rots from its head. And so it, it's so critical and important as a leader 
that you are setting the culture of that organisation. And, you know, we talk about it when we're on boards, the board and the, the leadership team are really critical to modelling and demonstrating the kind of behaviour that we want to permeate through the whole organisation. And it's interesting, the research shows that if you have a, a leader that's, a, you know, a narcissistic leader, even when they leave, the effect, the enduring effect that they have on the organisation can go on for up to two years after they've left which shows the effect that one person can have on a whole organisation. So really important to make sure that the culture and that the values that you set as an organisation are set at the top and that everybody demonstrates them. And so the way that you want your employees to operate, to work, to communicate with each other, to collaborate is the same way that you do at a leadership level and at a board level. And so I think setting that culture is the way that you, you really create that environment that is you know safe and and comfortable for your employees but I think it's all the things that we talked about what not to do as a leader um, are really important and checking yourself and I think the most important thing that a leader can do is to have their own coaching is to have their own self-reflection is to have their own mentors because sometimes you just need someone else to call out the things that you're doing wrong that you might not even notice and so I think some of those feedback opportunities are really crucial as a leader because you're not perfect no one is and you've got to make sure that you're constantly, you know, assessing that against, you know, somebody else, an external person um, that can give you that objective feedback. Thank you. And final word, I know we're over time, but I'll hand over to you, Kate, and then... Okay, this is very powerful and very quick, right? Very quick, very quick, very quick. What would I do now and what do I do in my coaching? The best defence is to believe in yourself and don't get defined by anyone else's definition of your own self-worth. Your efforts to please a toxic leader will never be reciprocated. You're not going to fix it in many cases. It often, toxic leadership, let's be careful that it's not just about up. You know, we like to please. Are we, are we doing too much of that? Um, look for a support network. I think that's really, really important looking around at all these amazing women. Don't be alone. Get women that will actually remind you of just how awesome you are and to help you get back your power. Do not take the persona of that leader on, right? It is not about you. It's their bad journey. Um, and so that's denying the stigma of shame, right? We, when, we, when we feel shameful, get back up. Try again and know and share the learnings with yourself. What would be the questions that you would ask next time to ensure that it doesn't happen again. I did that and got the wonderful Alison Watkins and Alana Atlas at Coca-Cola Amatol, and um, I was very glad I did learn. All right, that's a wrap. I'd like to thank our wonderful panellists today, Kate Mason, Eileen Dulligill, and Dr. Amandeep Hansra. Thank you so much for joining us. The Future Women Leadership Series was presented by Helen McCabe, Executive Producer, Jenny Goggin, Sound Production by Darcy Thompson.